A number of years ago, uh, I had this awful little thing that I did whenever I was in a store. Uh, I would avoid people there. And, if, you know, again, I've grown up some. Uh, but I would see people that I knew, and I would see them coming at me, and I'm like, oh, I'd quickly, you know, change aisles, and then they would walk by, and then I could go back. And this was my way of avoiding conversation because I would always say I don't go to the grocery store I didn't go to any of the other stores to talk to people I went there to get what I needed and I wanted to go home and I know some of you are still in the practice of doing this because I see you dodging me all the time but um, you know this was something that I that I did and I got really good at it honestly I would see people coming at me and I just kind of you know, turn my back and pick up something like a big massive newspaper, you know, and just, you know, and they'd be like, hi, Pastor Ike, you know, they knew I was there, but um, I thought I was hiding. But the thing was, as people caught on to this, it got harder and harder to do. Because, you know, avoiding people is not something for one pastor should be trying to do, but um, it, it got harder and harder to do. And I, re- I still remember clearly this one time I was in there, and I'm just going to pick on Kevin, you know, and, and I look down the aisle, and let's just say I see Kevin coming at me, and I quickly do my thing. I'm like, whoop, you know, just scoot over one aisle, and, and I started doing, well, I didn't know this. There was a bunch of people there, a group of people, and I guess they had all said, look, we know this is what he's doing, let's bust him. So they spread out. And so as I dodged aisles, I look up, and oh my word, there's another one. So I quickly, you know, dodge over to the next aisle, and there was another one, and slowly they just descended on me, and I got busted, big time. And they looked at me, and I still clearly remember, and the person sitting in this room, they said, are you trying to avoid us? Yeah, you know. And so I got busted by trying to dodge, by trying to run. Today we're starting a brand new series called Jonah. And we are going to take the next four weeks and we're going to look at the story of Jonah. We're going to look at the prophet Jonah. And we're going to dive into this chapter by chapter. And so I would encourage you for every Sunday, just make sure you've read the next chapter. So for next Sunday, read chapter 2. Very interesting book. I think one of the things that you will find about the book of Jonah is you will very quickly begin to see yourself in him. Because Jonah's written very differently than a lot of the other books. Jonah writes with a lot of emotion. We, we often read about Elijah and he goes and he does these tremendous things or, or you know, all these other prophets. And we don't really hear the emotion that's behind it. We don't hear the, the inner struggle that they have. Where with the book of Jonah... Uh, we get a very raw view of what's going on in the life of Jonah. Jonah is often referred to as the reluctant prophet. In other words, it's almost as if he didn't want to be a prophet. He was being asked to do something that he would have rather not do. That's a little bit like saying, I have an electrician over at my house, but he's a a reluctant electrician. Or I took my car to a reluctant mechanic, or my house is being built by a reluctant carpenter. It doesn't put your mind at a lot of you know, peace because the last thing you need is a reluctant prophet when the Word of God needs to be shared with other people. The book of Jonah is about a prophet who bitterly resented the fact that God loves and cares for evil people. He couldn't deal with the fact that there were these people that he had long written off that God loved and cared for these evil people. 
Let's take a look at your. You can open your Bibles to Jonah chapter 1. We're going to start there. Jonah chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Now the Living Bible paraphrases the last part of these two verses this way. It says, The wickedness of Nineveh was such that it smelled to high heaven. In other words, it's a sense that God is saying, the wickedness of this city is so bad that it is the aroma, aroma has come all the way up uh, to, to me in heaven. Jake, is this mic on as well? Okay. God has called Jonah now to go to the city of Nineveh and preach against it. Now, a little bit of background here on the city of Nineveh. Nineveh was an upcoming uh, world power in Jonah's day. The most important city of Assyria. Within 50 years, Nineveh became the capital of the vast Assyrian Empire. Nineveh was such a great city, was the great city of the ancient world. Located on the Tigris River, what is now Mosul, uh, Iraq, Nineveh had a population at that time of around 600,000 people. Its streets were 20 miles long and its walls were 100 feet tall and wide enough for three chariots to be driven side by side across the top. This was the last place where Jonah would have expected to be sent. I think every prophet kind of had their place where they were hoping to go. They had their place where they hoped God would call them. And Nineveh was the last place that Jonah would have wanted to go. Now, this is some gruesome information, but here's a little bit more about the wickedness of, of Nineveh. Not only was it enormous, not only was it huge, it was incredibly evil. It was the Assyrians' policy to never keep their prisoners of war alive. They gloated over their victims and enjoyed every atrocity. They would hold down their victims and cut out their tongues. They would skin their victims alive. They would build pyramids of human skulls outside of conquered cities. Their cruelty was known throughout the world. This was definitely a place Jonah did not want to go. And quite frankly, Jonah hated these people because of what they have all done. So one of the very first lessons that we learn from the book of Jonah is that sometimes God will ask us to do things that we do not want to do. There are going to be moments in our lives where God is going to ask us to do something we don't want to do. And I'm pretty sure most of you have already been there at one point in time. Where God asked you to do something or where you felt you were supposed to do something and you didn't want to do it. This was the last thing you would hope to do. This wasn't exactly what you wanted to do. This wasn't something you had dreamt of doing, but you felt God asking you to do it. What's interesting about the book of Jonah is that Jonah isn't known for what God asked him to do. Jonah is best known for what he did after God asked him to do it. Verse 3, But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now, he knew exactly what he was doing. He literally said, here's what I'm doing. I am fleeing from the Lord. Now it's easy for us to wonder, how could he do this? How could Jonah possibly do such a thing? 
It's kind of like trying to hide from your boss. Like eventually, if you want your paycheck, you're going to have to go back to your boss. Or parents, when your kids try to hide from you, you know that in time they have to come back. They're going to be hungry. They're going to need a place to sleep. So we as the, the, the readers reading this narrative, we know that Jonah is going to get caught. Because after all, how do you flee from the Lord? I think if you look at the story deeply, I, you get a sense and I get a feeling that Jonah himself knew that this wasn't going to work. But it didn't stop him from trying anyway. The title of today's sermon is the Jonah in us. So if we pause this story right here for a moment, and we just say, okay, let's just pause here for a moment. So far in this story, what are you already beginning to see about yourself in this story? Because I think in the book of Jonah, there are often examples or there are often similarities to our lives. What was it that caused Jonah to run? It wasn't his lack of faith because in Jonah chapter 4 verse 2, you read that Jonah basically says, well, he says to God, I knew you were going to do this. I knew these people were going to all repent. I knew that you were going to spare the city. Jonah had enough faith to know that if he goes and preaches to the city of Nineveh, that God was going to save those people. So it wasn't a lack of faith that caused Jonah to run. So why did Jonah run? One word. Disobedience. You can cut this any way you want, but ultimately it came down to this. Jonah was being disobedient. He knew what he needed to do. He knew what he had to do. He knew what his position required of him to do. And he disobeyed because he didn't want to. So here's something that's true about every single one of us in this room. We have all at one point in our lives done something that we knew we shouldn't do. There is not one individual in this room who could say, nope, not me. Every single one of us in this room, at some point in your life, you have done something that you knew you shouldn't do. Another thing that's true about every single one of us is not only have we done something we shouldn't do, there have been times where we knew we should do something and we didn't do it. So we're all guilty of these two things. We don't really like talking about disobedience, do we? I know with my own kids, when you say, hey, did you disobey? There's a sense of like, ah, oh, please, any topic but this topic. We don't like talking about disobedience. It makes us uncomfortable. You know, if someone would come up to you and say, hey, I don't think you were obeying over there. I think you disobeyed here. We would get defensive. We would get protective. We do not like to be called disobedient. We do not like to be accused of that. We are even more uncomfortable talking about sin. And whether you are a Christian or not, whether you believe in Jesus or not, when someone comes up to you and says you are disobedient, it makes you uncomfortable. And even more so if someone would ever accuse you of being guilty of sin. And yet Romans 23 verse 23 says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So another reality within this room is that every single one of us is a sinner. Every single one of us has sinned. Yet there's a, 
there's a big difference, I think, between being disobedient to another individual than being disobedient to God. It is quite one thing for me to sin against another person, but to sin against God? So if we're uncomfortable of being accused of being disobedient to an individual or, or sinning against another person, how much more awkward is it when someone or when we realize that we have sinned against Almighty God? And yet what I find amazing is that very often there is more outrage at sinning against an individual than when people live in blatant sin against God. We are almost more bothered by the sin of humanity to each other than we are at the thought that people are living in disobedience to God. But like Jonah, because again, we're seeing ourselves in Jonah, like Jonah, for many of us, even though we know we are disobedient, even though we know we are disobeying, even though we may know we are living in sin, we try to get away with it as best we can. So God sends a storm into Jonah's life to get Jonah's attention. The storm is so bad that the sailors, not Jonah, but the sailors are terrified. These are hardened sailors, and they are terrified at what is happening. But look at where Jonah is, chapter 1, verse 5. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. This says something to me about Jonah. One of two things. Either Jonah was incredibly sleepy and tired, or secondly, Jonah had become very comfortable with what he was doing. Jonah had become comfortable, we could say, with his sin. Because how could someone be who is running from God, how could someone go and have a deep sleep? Not only is Jonah sleeping, but we also find out when he came onto the boat, one of the things he did was he told all the sailors, oh, guess what? I am running from the Lord. When's the last time you went to your workplace and said, oh, by the way, I'm trying to get away from whatever. He almost he's gloating about the fact that he's living in disobedience. And now he's down in the bottom of the boat having a deep nap. And we might think that this is impossible for us we would never do something like this so here's a question i want to ask you all is there a sin in your life that you've become comfortable with is there a sin in your life that if you're totally honest right now you're comfortable with it you've justified it Jonah justified his. He could say, well, I don't want to go to those people. They're cruel. They're awful. I can't stand them. And he can justify it to the point where he is so comfortable with what he's doing, he's down at the bottom of the ship, sleeping. Is there sin that you have become comfortable with in your life? I want you to write this next part down. So get your phones out, text it to yourself or something. I want you to all write this down or at least I want you to remember this because I think this is going to be a key takeaway for many of you. We'll put it on the screen. It says this. You will never repent of a sin you're comfortable with. You will never repent of a sin that you are comfortable with. 
When God gave me that little line a little while ago, I just sat there and said, no kidding. Because why would you repent of a sin that you've justified so much in your life that it doesn't even bother you anymore? And yet it's still a sin. Yet to God it is still a stinky, gross odor that has come before Him over and over again, but we have justified it to the point where we say, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. You will never repent of a sin you are comfortable with. So the captain goes down to Jonah, verse 6. He says to Jonah, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. See, here's the other thing with sin. It's not only affecting us. It doesn't only impact our lives. Jonah suddenly realizes that it's not only him who's going to be affected by this. It's all these other people. So if you're a parent, and there's a sin in your life that you're so comfortable with, The sad news for your family is it's going to impact your family. If you're an employer and there's a sin in your life, it could very well impact your entire company. The decision is made on the ship to cast lots and to find out whose fault this is. And the lot falls on Jonah. They ask him a number of questions and one of those questions must have pierced Jonah deeply. And that was this question. What kind of work do you do? You see, when someone asks us, what do you do? It's a sense of asking you, what is your identity? In other words, the question could be, who are you? What are you about? What defines you? What defines you? You see, if I say, well, I'm a carpenter, most of you would immediately say, oh, that, that, that's part of an identity of Ike. This is who he is. This is what he does. And so when they ask Jonah this question, what do you do? They are asking Jonah, tell us about who you are. Listen to Jonah's answer. Chapter 1, verse 9, he answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. If you keep reading there, it says that they were more terrified than ever. And the automatic next question is this, what have you done? would be a natural question, right? Some guy comes onto your ship and says, oh, by the way, I just want you to know I'm trying to run from the Lord. And they might be saying, well, who's the Lord? We don't know the Lord. Now suddenly there's this massive storm and they go wake this guy up and they say, you know, what's going on? And they cast lots to try to figure out whose fault is this? And sure enough, it's the fault of the guy who says he's running from the Lord. And then they ask him, well, what do you do? Oh, I'm the prophet of that Lord. The automatic question next, any one of us would be, okay, buddy, what have you done? What have you done? Now, most of us in this room would say, I'm a follower of Jesus. So let me ask you the question. What have you done? Don't you love that day of reckoning? We are so frightened of that day. That day of reckoning when our sin is exposed. We are so frightened of that day that we will do all that we can to never have that day happen. This is why people will close their laptops really quick. This is why people will change the channel really quick. This is why they will change cell phone numbers. They will do all kinds of things to protect what they're doing. Because we fear the day of reckoning. The other thing I know about the day of reckoning, as I've met with 
many, many people over the years is that number one, it's frightening, but then when it happens, it is so liberating. I have had a number of people tell me, I'm so glad I finally got caught. Because now I can deal with it and stop running. Jonah knows that he can't run anymore. His sin is caught up to him, and it will literally take him and the crew down unless he does, unless he, uh, does what he needs to do. So what have you done? What have you done? I remember back when I was in seminary, during one of my classes, I felt so deeply convicted I knew that my relationship with God was not where it was supposed to be. And after class or in between during class somewhere, I remember going to the professor and I said, you know, here's my, there's something wrong. I just don't have peace in my heart. I know I need to go and I know I need to make things right with God, but I don't even know what to do anymore. And he gave me this little task, and I've shared this with some of you before, but he gave me this little task to do and something I've done often since. He said, I want you to go read Psalm chapter, 20, uh, 30, Psalm chapter 139, verses 23 to 24. I want you to read it over and over and over. I want you to write it out in your own words, over and over. And so I went off and I read this psalm. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I found myself a nice quiet place. And I read that psalm over and over and over. I wrote it out all by myself again and again and again. And nothing. So I cried. I prayed. I read it again. Nothing. And then I had the brilliant idea. And I think many of you have had this brilliant idea yourself. I made a list of all the sins I'd ever committed. All the sins that I could possibly think of. And I made this list and I wrote it down. And then I sat down and I prayed through every single one. I said, God, forgive me for this. Forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. Over and over and over and over and over. Nothing. I felt as empty as I had before. If anything, I felt more guilty. And slowly God began to show me something. In His own timing. In His own way. And I saw these three words at the beginning of these verses. Search me, God. See, something that became real to me, something that became very, you know, in my face also, is like, okay, God, the only person who's been doing any searching is me. So I've been sitting here making my own list. I've been looking at myself through my own eyes. But the reality is this. If you are comfortable with a sin, you will not feel the need to repent it. As a matter of fact, if you are comfortable with a sin, you may not even see it. So suddenly as this sunk in more and more, I began to say, okay, God, search me. You search me. You search me. You show me what you see. Now, your, your experience may not be the same as mine, but mine was almost instant. God said this to me, Ike, you are full of pride. 
And I can't use you until you humble yourself. That was my inner sin. If one of you would have come up to me and said, Ike, you are so proud, I would have said, you don't know me. I am the most humble man in the world. I'm not proud. Here God looks at me and he says, Ike, I see you. And you've asked me to show you what I see. And I'll tell you what I see, Ike. I see pride. What was Jonah's sin? Obviously, running from God was not a smart idea. But what was Jonah's inner sin? The one that caused all of this? Jonah's sin was hatred. Jonah hated the people God loved. And so why did Jonah run? Because he was filled with hatred. And if you would have asked Jonah, Jonah, what is your sin? He, oh man, I shouldn't have run from God. I shouldn't have never got on that. And he would have made a beautiful list of all the things he shouldn't have done. And I wonder if you would ask God, he would say, Jonah hated the people that I loved. What is your sin? We, oh, I know you guys are all, oh, don't, don't talk about sin. We don't like this topic. But the Jonah in us is trying to run from a sin in your life. The Jonah in us wants to deny it. The Jonah in us wants to justify what we're doing. But if there's a sin in your life, is it possible that you're not even seeing it? I want to send you off with this little task. I invite you to go and to sit down someplace with God and say, God, search me. You show me what you see. You show me what I can't see. You show me myself through your eyes. What am I like? God, you search me. I I know the temptation is going to be this. To leave here and go tell everybody, oh, we had a fire alarm halfway through the, the sermon. Oh, it was awesome. You know, and 30 people took off and didn't come back. And, you know, and you're going you're gonna to be tempted to go say that. But no, don't worry about the fire alarm. It's nothing. There's something in your life that's not right. I invite you today, find a place and be still before the Lord and say, God, search me. Let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you for your patience with us. I thank you, God, for loving us. I thank you, God, for being faithful. I thank you that you loved us before we loved you. I thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die for that wickedness that comes before you. And Father, I want to now pray for all of us. Lord, if there is a a sin that we have disguised, or if there's a sin that we have somehow hidden within us, Father God, my prayer for all of us is that we would allow you to reveal it. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I'm just going to invite you right where you are. Just pause for a moment. 
And just pray over and over. Say, God, search me. Search me. Lord Jesus, we say, search us, because you know our hearts. Jesus, would you test us? Would you know our thoughts? Lord Jesus, we invite you to look into us and, and see if there's any offensiveness in us. If there's anything that would stand between us and having a full relationship with you. Lord Jesus, I pray against the powers of the devil who I know does not want this moment for anybody and who will try to speak to us and to help us justify. Jesus, stand against that. You have defeated sin so that we would never be filled with it again. So we could walk in victory. So I pray, Lord Jesus, that every person here would be free. With their own pride, with their own fears, with their own who knows what, God, would it not stand in the way of being absolutely free in your presence? Thank you, Jesus, for what you will do. Amen.